believing what they believe and doing what they do as mentioned in the previous set of ayat that they listen to you and then they pretend as if they did not hear anything and they ask people of knowledge what did the Prophet just say. So after that discussion, there's now a comparison with those who believe. So those who believe say that had only a surah, a conclusive surah be revealed. Muhkama, a surah that is decisive and convincing and authoritative to give news to the Muslims that now they are allowed to fight, basically. So the Sahaba uh, wanted to defend themselves through arms, not just a passive resistance, but an active resistance. (coughs) The Prophet was not given the order to do that until... uh, in Medina when he was allowed to defend himself and then later on go out and campaign for the sake of Allah. That requires obviously jihad and qital and fighting and killing and dying and all of that. So believers would be anticipating such an order, such a surah. So they're hoping something uh, would be revealed, and it was revealed, in which the qital was mentioned. Qital means fighting here. Then uh, when that does happen, O Muhammad وسلم, then uh, you will see in the hearts of those who are sick, uh, those who are sick, they will now react very differently. They will now look at you as if they are unconscious, and that how are now how are, uh, how will they now participate in the Muslim cause if they have to go out and fight? Because it's okay to participate in some event that is passive. You can be a silent observer. You can be a participant. You can actually engage in a conversation, and so on. But if the hukum and the rule comes that you must now be active and be actively participant, uh, then that causes a huge disturbance in their minds and in their hearts, and that causes them to be even more hypocritical than they were they already were. 
Okay? So they will be totally mesmerized uh, by the idea that Islam is now saying you must go out and fight. Uh, where Islam is about basic rituals, right? salat, salm, and zakat, maybe it's probably easier to fight because that is very passive. And so on. Except, as you know, in Fajr and Isha, where it was very difficult for them to participate in Fajr and Isha because they would either just party at night and sleep in in the morning. So that was one of the signs of Iman, that uh, he would be able to participate in Fajr and in Isha. Anyway, so here when the order comes, that you have to go out and actually do something, and that is only when you are visible in the battlefield. Then their the whole paradigm falls. Then they can't be a Muslim and a non-Muslim at the same time. Hmm? Uh, so this is what this ayah is saying. Um, for Ola, then, then, you know, destruction be to them and let them die, let them perish and whatever. So here the Quran now has a formula uh, with which and in which you can separate those who are true Muslims from those who are not so true Muslims that when the order comes to defend Islam and to fight, then the true believers will be in the front line and the not-so-good believers will be somewhere else and so on. Anyway, that's a discussion also from the point of view of the government and so on. So the, the order here is that there should be uh, obedience and a good word. No? That you should be able to obey the law and obey the Prophet and you should be happy with it. That not only do you acquiesce, you also speak good about it. So if you're happy with something, you'll say something good. If you're not happy, then you'll always say something bad or negative or skeptical, which is unfortunately the plight of most Muslims. Uh, especially here, that people say bad things about Islam all the time. They're always questioning, and they're always skeptical, and so on. So, qawlum ma'roof is a sign of obedience. A good word about the rule is now a sign that you have submitted and accepted the rule. If you have not accepted the rule, then you'll always say something negative, uh, which is not a good sign. It's a sign of nifaq, hypocrisy at one level, and so on. Yeah, so that's the order for Muslims that even if they somewhat don't really understand what the rule is, you must say something positive about it because that's a sign that you are willing to overcome your nafs and your understanding of Islam is now limited and you're willing to learn, you're willing to accommodate the idea that there are far-reaching consequences and far-reaching, uh, more, more piercing uh, evidences and more heartwarming reasons why the hukum is now given. So that's the forthright approach of a good Muslim. So someone who's not a good Muslim, he's always, as I said, in a state of doubt, he's skeptical, he'll say negative things, he'll question everything, and then in the name of uh, objectivity, uh, <laughs> he'll destroy Islam. 
within himself. That's a disease of the heart. That's what? A disease of the heart where you were skeptical. And in fact, sometimes you're annoyed that Islam has this rule. Uh, why do women only get this share of the inheritance and why do men get the share of the inheritance? And that's where it comes up. See, in these uh, controversial issues, that's when this iman comes up. It's a test from Allah. Yeah? Oh, I don't understand why this is, uh, therefore uh, I should doubt it maybe. I should form another paradigm to understand these ayat and so on. Uh, yeah. So suratun muhkamatun is where this now comes into play. Well, it's a convincing surah. It's a very obvious and cogent hukum from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do this. And so on. so it, it, it speaks to the diseases of our time. That if you're not willing to say something good about Islam, then maybe you don't have the iman. And maybe you are doubting. Islam, maybe you are doubting whether the Qur'an is actually eternal or not, or is the Qur'an now always contextualized by people and society, and so on. Uh, hence the next part of the ayah, فَإِذَا عَزَمَ الْأَمْرُ فَلَوْ صَدَقُ اللَّهَ لَكَانَ خَيْرًا لَهُمْ So when the matter is resolved in their hearts, not in the revelation. The revelation is always resolved. It's there. It is what it is, unless you follow the rules of interpretation. Then that's different. But if the matter has been resolved in your minds, in your hearts, in their hearts, and then they actually establish Allah as being truthful, and there, sadaqul, the subject there are the munafiqun. That if they actually come to terms with the truth, and then they confirm Allah. That you must confirm Allah's words by accepting them. That's meaning tasdeeq here. It's, as I said, it's much more than mental, much more than intellectual, it is spiritual. It must come from the heart. I genuinely believe and accept this from Allah. This is Allah's saying. This is Allah's ruling. And I'm willing to now submit to that. لَكَانَ خَيْرًا لَهُمْ It will be much better for them that they do this rather than hang uh, suspended in the air between uh, skepticism and doubt and all of those evil things that unfortunately Muslims have become accustomed to. فَهَلْ عَسَيْتُمْ إِنْ تَوَلَّيْتُمْ أَنْ تُفْسِدُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَتُقَطِّعُوا أَرْحَامَكُمْ And then the proof is in the pudding. Then uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that if you maintain an order in tawallaytum, some mufassirun have said this refers to government, that if you go away and you establish your own rule and power and authority and government, then it is quite likely that you will cause corruption on, on the land, on earth, that you will not have a system of uh, truth, a system of justice, system of security, system of uh, goodwill for people that you rule and govern and you control. And then the most, uh, obviously, um, proof, uh, trying thing for you is, is that you maintain your relationships with your relatives, that you will break all your relations with your relatives when you are at that level of authority and power 
uh, on the planet. So this is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that jihad and qital is prescribed so that there is aman and security on earth. It is not prescribed because we want chaos. That's not the objective of jihad and qital. We don't kill indiscriminately. We don't commit genocide and so on. But if you are in power, then you must judge yourselves by measuring yourselves according to these two objective standards. One is that you maintain peace, security in your own land. Peace and security in your own land is a proof that you are good rulers. But if there's no peace and security in your own land, then what are you doing fighting other people and killing other people? Which is what I always rant about, that we don't have peace, security. Uh, there are places in the USA where you can't travel in the day in fear of your life being taken. There are many more places where you can't travel at night. <laughs> where is the security? I, have you established that level of security where if you leave your shop open, nobody will dare touch anything? Or is it that even when you lock your shops, you have rioters and looters? <laughs> I not a standard of civilization. You understand that these ayat are very revealing. Quran reveals all the realities of people. Yeah. That you will cause now corruption and trouble and turmoil on the land with your government or despite your government. So the proof's always in the, in the pudding. So there's domestic security and obviously there's foreign security. So you do neither. If that's your standard of just government, then you should perhaps review your own sense of justice. And the second objective measure is that you destroy relationships, especially blood ties and blood relationships. This is referring to the Quraysh and the Kuffar and the other Arab tribes that the Arab tribes would engage in warfare and uh, one part of the family uh, would kill the other part of the family. For decades, they just keep on fighting and fighting and fighting. Mm -hmm. That was tribalism. But you can also apply it to these days where most people don't keep ties with their relatives anyway uh, as a, a societal value that the only time you have dinner or lunch with somebody's on Thanksgiving or Christmas or something. So there are no family ties left. So one of the evidences of facade, corruption on the land, is that you don't promote family ties. In fact, you celebrate the idea that we meet once a year or twice a year. That's not a sign of good government. That's not security. So, so that, it is very clear, unfortunately, as, as to where we are and who are our peers uh, in this land and so on. So if they just confirm the truth from Allah that, yeah, this is an ideal. I mean, there were some people, presidents in the past, who did say we should have family values and back to basics and all of that. And there was a call for that because they realized that, that the social orders corroded in most Western civilization is not, not even corroded, it's non-existent. 
But there will always be people who come to reform at the national level and help uh, people come back to the truth and re-establish family values. Okay, so family values are the cornerstone for establishing peace and security anywhere. Once you do that, then you will establish peace and security. Uh, so the neighborhood watch, obviously, is very critical. Clean up your neighborhood so that there's peace and security. And if uh, groups of people can do that, that would be an immense service to all of mankind, uh, where you are, now you can now just feel free, where you, you know that if you walk one o'clock in the morning somewhere, no one's going to stab you, no one's going to rape you, no one's going to mug you, no one's going to carjack <laughs> All these social norms that are vices, they have to be addressed. And the only way to address them is to speak about them. Uh, so in your dinner parties that you have now, very lavish and nice dinner parties, which is fine, alhamdulillah, give us all barakah, uh, inshallah. But we have to talk about these things. We are in this cesspit as much as everybody else is because we live here. And if you don't address it, there ain't any angel coming from the heavens to address it for you. You have to address it. Speak about it. What about this? Can we clean up our neighborhood? Can we help other neighborhoods clean themselves up? Because that's part of your engagement with mainstream society. And so on. Anyway, this is what the surah is saying. It applies to our context also, the same way it applies to the context of the Quraysh and the Arabs of the olden days, and so on. أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ لَعَنَهُمُ اللَّهُ فَأَصَمَّهُمْ وَعَمَا أَبْصَارُهُمْ uh, so the lana of Allah, Allah curses them. And as a result of that, uh, they are now made blind. They are made deaf. And they are made blind. Their, their sights are made blind. They, they don't hear and they don't see the truth or guidance whatsoever. Uh, what is this? What is this lana? What is this cursing? And so on. Why would the divine curse? Um, you can't speak to most people in the world this way. Your God curses. <laughs> uh, there has to be mercy in God. And so on. Yeah, so this is a cause and effect. You have to understand this through the cosmos. So the Ilana is basically Allah not guiding them towards the truth. A result and effect of that curse is that they don't hear and they don't see. Okay? So the effect of Allah's now curse is people don't understand, they don't see, they don't hear, and they don't take heed and they don't do anything to please Allah. That's the effect. Mm-hmm. The cause is their own stubbornness and their own arrogance and their own inability to see the truth. That's the cause. Right? And this is the effect. So in that wholesome, comprehensive meaning, you have the word lana. Uh, you have the word Allah is cursing. You know. Allah is way above time and space, so you can't really attribute the action of Allah within time and space. It has to be an effect of the order from above the cosmos. Anyway, that's just for a little bit of your aqidah, uh, so that you, you don't get confused, otherwise Allah cursing. Okay? The curse is now initiated by human beings not believing, and human beings not following the divine order. That is what initiates and triggers this process 
of misguidance, and then more misguidance, and then more misguidance. So we have to appreciate that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now showing us that the way to make sure that you don't curse yourselves is to follow Allah and His Rasul. It's a very simple explanation. Yeah. Hence, the next ayah will make perfect sense. أَفَلَا يَتَدَبَّرُونَ الْقُرْآنَ أَمَلَا قُلُوبٍ أَقْفَالُهَا It's a natural segue into this idea that do they not contemplate and think about and reflect on the Qur'an. The tadabbur, obviously, is a huge word. It has many implications. And it's a very comprehensive word where now you sit down and think. Uh, you can meditate, you can contemplate, you can reflect, you can observe, you can think, you can intuit, and all of that comes into the word. Right? That read the Qur'an and don't just read it, think about it. Sit and think about the ayah for five minutes at least. So what is this ayah saying? What does it mean to me? What does it mean for me? And what does it do for me? That's tadabbur. That you have to apply it on yourself. Our usual impulse is that we apply it to everybody else on the planet. Then eventually you might apply it to ourselves. <laughs> so the usual instinct that the nafs gives you, oh yeah, this I uh, applies to that group or this person. That's not tadabbur. Okay, that's called arrogance. I mean, that's called uh, shifting the blame. That's called passing on the buck. So you don't pass on the buck. You apply the ayah to yourself in your own context. That is what tadabbur means. Or is it that their hearts are sealed? Or is it that there are locks on their hearts where the heart now perceives and senses, appreciates, understands, and all of that? So the way for you to unlock the ayat of the Qur'an is to engage in tadabbur, reflection, thinking, uh, understanding, postulating, drawing conclusions in the right way for your own guidance. It's very subjective. You must apply it to yourself. And then you must now own your guilt and own your mistakes and own your misguidance so that you are corrected and reformed so that the Qur'an is a shifa for you. The Qur'an is a shifa, a cure for your mental errors and for your misunderstanding and for your misappropriation and for your indiscretion. That's tadabbur. So that's how we ask people and students to study the Qur'an that they must apply the Qur'an in their own lives, without looking at other people. You can't look at other people when you're doing tadabbur. It's very personal, it's very sacred, and it's very noble. So this is how we say it. Eventually, you'll be able to apply it in terms of islah, reforming, not ifsad, not corrupting. So you can apply it to others if you're reforming and you have goodness in you, salah. You can't apply it if you have facade in you. Uh, if you have corruption in you and you are a corrupt person, then you can't apply your corrupt understanding to other people because you're corrupt. Uh, so this is where you need that kind of discipline. And as people say, ijazah. Uh, you need ijazah uh, to do that. But you can do it yourselves. For yourselves, you don't need ijazah for that. Except the ijazah of your own nafs. Uh, the nafs will stop you. 
So yeah, okay, I understand this now. There's nothing else needed. No, there is. There's much more than what meets the eye. And so on. so you, you must unlock uh, your heart. There's a lock on your heart. And that lock is opened in only if you subjectively and willingly appreciate what the Qur'an is saying to you. Yeah, to you. Only you. You must be very selfish when you do this in the, term, in the sense that it is your najat, it is your salvation. If you don't understand it properly and correctly, then you can't speak about it because your understanding is incomplete and throwing out an incomplete understanding is probably the greatest form of facade and corruption there is. Because you're half-baked and you're throwing out these half-baked recipes, solutions and theories to the ummah. And that's why the ummah struggles, because they don't have the right aqidah anymore. They don't have the right approach to the Qur'an anymore. So this is now in the sense that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He wants human beings to establish law and order, and that's why you establish authority and power and governments. The purpose of establishing law and order, governments and power and authority is because there has to be security. Uh, on the land and not facade on the land. So that's, there's an objective. So, you know, government for the sake of government is not Islamic. Government for the sake of law and order and security, that's Islamic. That you develop the infrastructure within which every Muslim can fulfill his Islamic duty uh, in, um, what do you call it, in a good way. Yeah? in a secure way where uh, you could travel anywhere in the Muslim empire and go for Hajj with security, where there's no fear of uh, looting, no fear of violence, no fear of rape or anything else. That's now government. So all all the theories, political science theories, whatever, you can throw them out of the door if there's no security. If there's no aman, as the Quran calls it, aman, security. Aman from fear, security from fear, that's the objective of government or authority or whatever you want to call it. If that is not met, then you have failed. Whether you write the best Islamic constitution on the planet or even if you don't have a constitution, yeah. If your land is safe and secure, now you establish law and order. But if you have the best constitution on the planet and there is no security, you've done diddly squat. The sophistication is not in the wording. The sophistication is what's on the ground. Yeah, as I mentioned, Alhamdulillah, for over a millennium, even in the past two centuries, we have still established a sense of security in Muslim lands. Where Alhamdulillah. Maybe not now, because you have too many malls there. <laughs> when you had shops that could be left open, <laughs> now you have shops in malls where now the shops have to be locked and the malls need to be kind of regulated by security. So there goes your aman, basically. Before, when you went for Hajj Umrah, you see everybody in Makkah, Medina, they leave all their shops open, wide open. Everybody goes to Salat, and they come back with the barakah from Salat. And there's security. Nobody would even think of lifting anything from the shop. It wouldn't occur in their minds that there's a shop, wide open shop. Does that happen in other non-Muslim countries? I doubt it. There might be some place, I don't know. 
ان الذين ارتدوا على ادبارهم من بعد ما تبين لهم الهدى الشيطان سول لهم واملا لهم this is in reference to those who leave the deen and those who turn away from allah's order and allah's guidance so indeed those who turn away on their heels after the guidance has been made clear to them then the devil is definitely Uh, yeah, tempting them is the word here, but it's not really tempting. It's much more than that. Deceive them, and he has disguise, disguise, misguidance for guidance. Mm. And he has given them respite and given them a sense of fantasy and say that this will happen in the future and so on. So the devil insinuates and man then actually executes what the devil wants them to execute. So now this is a demonic phenomenon in human beings that the kufr is instigated and triggered by the devil that resides in every human being. And it's an easy task for him because human beings are so gullible and so vulnerable when the devil talks to them. If a good, pious Muslim talks to them, they'll doubt him. When the devil talks to them, ah, yes, yes, this is good, this is sweet, this is wonderful, this is what I want, and this is what I desire, this is what I seek, and this is what I die for. So Allah says, die then. If that's what you want to die for, you can die. Right? He causes them to fantasize. He gives them you know, hope for the future that your kufr will help you and Islam will not help you. And so again, it's a very open cross-section of the Muslim ummah today where they doubt guidance and they doubt Islam and then one thing leads to another and eventually their doubt overtakes them and they're kafir. That's the... Um, what you call it, the psychology of the murtad, the apostate. So the apostate will then uh, go out on a campaign to tell everybody else on the planet that Islam is no good. So then they start proselytizing also, as we all know, unfortunately. So that should not happen. But it is a demonic kind of trigger. The devil is the stimulant for this. But man has to own his own action. He can't blame the devil because the devil will disown everybody on the day of judgment. So the devil is not your friend. On the day of judgment, he'll disown everybody. I didn't do anything. It wasn't me that you gave me some authority. I did whatever I could through my authority. And then we, we, I mean, the devil and his stooges will say, we disown you. We have nothing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Allah says that the devil is always deserting human beings. So human beings should not trust the insinuations of the devil that causes doubt and causes kufr. And so, on. so you have to realize Allah says kufr is no good. So you should believe him and say kufr is no good. It's very simple. Why are you entertaining the idea of kufr and doubt and skepticism in the first place? Uh, it's like you're drinking poison slowly and eventually the poison kills you and then you wonder why you're killed. Well, you drank the poison. Nobody else forced you to. Didn't put a gun to your head and say, drink this. 
it's you that did it. Yeah. So here Allah SWT is saying that one of the rules of government is that you stop the facade of irtidad. You stop the facade and you stop the corruption that comes with apostasy. Because misguidance after guidance is a very severe form of kufr. It is not one that we can tolerate if we are going to establish security in the land. In order to secure the Islam of Muslims, we have to make sure Islam is not compromised. That's our order. You have your order, which is fine, and we appreciate that order, that you don't want any other people to come in and overthrow your government and overthrow your system. We don't believe in that kind of corruption either. At the same time, the Muslims must be given their prerogative to say, we don't want to uh, you know, disturb our law and order and our peace and security by allowing apostates now to dominate and control and proselytize in our land. That's not the way we want to operate. And that is the rule of sovereign law that you have self-determination and you can make your rules the way you see fit, that should be given to Muslims also as you give it to everybody else on the planet. So, irtidad, apostasy, definitely is very demonic, is very shaitani, and you have to, uh, you know, nip it in the bud before it kind of blossoms and brews in you. So that, that starts with not appreciating Allah's guidance and not thinking about the guidance that Allah gives you. So you must use your mind in a positive way to enhance your understanding of Allah's guidance. You must not use your mind to entertain doubt and skepticism and kufr. Your mind is capable of doing both. The mind can entertain good thoughts in the form of tadabbur of the Qur'an and the mind can entertain evil thoughts in the form of allowing the devil to insinuate. What it is he insinuates? It's up to you. You have, the, you have the choice. You can use the mind this way to fantasize and glorify kufr, or you can use your mind to celebrate Allah and the Rasul, the Quran and Islam. And the choice is yours. Very simple. It should be that simple. The Muslims, unfortunately, complicated because they want to be sophisticated. How about a sophisticated discussion on kufr? What is kufr? What's the definition of kufr? Who is a kafir? Who is not a kafir? But now you believe in the Quran, Sunnah, and you follow Islam, you're Muslim. It's not that sophisticated. It's very simple. <laughs> if you're already in a state of doubt, then you'll ask these stupid questions. Oh, no, but when you have stupid questions, you have to entertain them. Because they're sophisticated. There's nothing sophisticated about kufr. It's demonic. Period. And that's our approach. This should be our approach in our communities. And we're talking over dinner or whatever in our groups, in our gatherings, just, just to shut the door on all of that nonsense that goes on because it doesn't help. In fact, it hurts. The more you complicate, the more it becomes complicated. Then eventually you suffer from what they call analysis paralysis. You become paralyzed. You don't do anything. And that's what the devil wants. He doesn't want you to do anything except kufr. Right? Yeah, so opening the doors of conversation uh, is not necessarily the best thing. Oh, you need classes and lectures and seminars to discuss all this. Do you? 
Not really. <laughs> if you're a straightforward, simple-minded Muslim, you believe in Allah and the Rasul and Islam and the Quran, Alhamdulillah, you're fine. You don't complicate matters by uh, being, you know, more sophisticated than you need to be. Yeah, a little bit of discussion here. Uh, then you do have that ability in the Dabbur of the Quran. You can do that here. That you believe in Jannah. No, no, okay, let's think about Jannah. Okay. In Jannah, there will be four types of rivers. You can think about that. That's enhancing. That's exhilarating. Okay, that's pleasure and that's enjoyable. Rather than saying, that, is there really a Jahannam? Right? So that you shouldn't entertain those. Even academically, unfortunately, we have to, because we have to. <laughs> Not the ideal. Okay, unfortunately, we have seminars on Kufur and atheism and uh, whatnot. And, yeah. But it is not necessary. I mean, it should not be necessary. It's not the ideal. It's not where you want the Muslim Ummah to be. The Muslim Ummah should just submit to Allah and do the work that Allah wants them to do because that is creative. That is welfare. That is beneficial for the Ummah and for non-Muslims to show non-Muslims that we actually do things and not just discuss things. And so on. Anyway, that's the formula for engagement with the Muslim community and also with the non-Muslim community. Their proof is always in the pudding. Uh, and so on. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this is why the Munafiq and people who have these traits of Nifaq, they will always engage in a kind of uh, subversion um, and kind of disobedience. And they will promote this level of disobedience through rebellion and so on. This is their mindset, at least. This is because uh, these people, they say, to those who despise what Allah has revealed, meaning that there are people who despise wahi, they dislike revelation, they do not like the idea of God and the idea of a prophet ruling, governing refereeing their lives that will follow you in a few things and that in some of these ideas that you have in some of these campaigns that you hold uh, will follow you and will will side with you in some of these affairs and so that's not again that's very divisive and is a huge fitna uh, in the ummah also that you don't go with every campaign that is in front of you simply because there's a sense of justice somewhere in that campaign. Or at least they're talking about justice equality. No, they're filthy. <laughs> How can you side with filth? You all know what I'm talking about. Anyway, Allah knows their secrets. Allah knows their inner feelings and their inner agendas. Allah knows everything that they want to do and they do do. And so on. So it's a very simple thing. If there's kufr there on the horizon and if there's filth there on the horizon, you should not be part of it. You should not be party to it. Very simple. Do you need to do anything else? No, you don't necessarily need to engage in everything that happens in the political world. You don't need to comment on everything that happens in government either. Just make sure that you're safe, secure, and you do what you can do for Allah and the Rasul in the best way possible. Okay. Uh, so this is all about 
engagement and all about engagement with belief, conviction that Islam is the solution, not the problem. And you should stop apologizing for Islam. Instead of telling people what Islam isn't, maybe you want to tell people what Islam is. Why are you always on the defensive? Take the offense and say, this is now who we are, this is what we do. This is who our Rasul is, this is who Allah is, this is what the Quran is, this is what Islam is. Explain to people what Islam is, they might get, give you a better audience. Because when you apologize, then you're always defensive. And the people will see right through you. Most people on the planet, they're not idiots. They will see right through you what your agenda is. You're being disingenuous when you're always apologetic, always apologizing what Islam is. No, it's not like this. It's not like that. No, no, it's, yeah, so that kind of skeptical approach where everybody is now putting you on your back foot and you're on the defense, then that is not the way for a healthy conversation. It's not healthy for you either, where you're always intimidated, you're always scared, you're always frightened about what people might say. They won't say anything. You speak your mind, they'll, they'll probably appreciate the fact that you speak your mind and you stand up for your conviction and you stand up for your beliefs. That's as far as I know American history. I don't know about anyone else reading American history, but this I see it is very clear in American history. They, they like people who stand up for their convictions and their principles. And whether they listen or not, that's a different issue, but at least they, they appreciate that kind of, uh, kind of aggression, we should call it. But obviously in a dignified way, in a nice way, where they're not intimidated by your aggression either. So here we see that here, سَنُطِيْعُكُمْ فِي بَعْضِ الْأَمْرِ that in a few campaigns, in a few issues, we will follow you. So the Quran is saying that you should not do that because there's always another agenda behind that agenda. And you can't see through them, but Allah knows them. So your comfort must be in knowing that Allah knows. And then the method of engagement has to be prescribed by the Quran, by the Sunnah, by Islam. And by the Muslim Ummah understands all of these values. So here we see that the Quran is speaking to us directly in our context as we live in the USA today. It is not something that is redundant, it is not obsolete. The Quran is a living book, it speaks. The Quran is Allah's speech, Allah is speaking. So when Allah is speaking, listen. And then don't deny what he's saying. Don't reject what he's saying. Listen to him. Accept what he is saying. Is alive. The Quran is a book that's eternally alive. That's why you're rewarded for reciting the words of the Quran because you're reciting the divine, eternal word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the best way forward for Muslims in this country is actually to listen to what the Quran is saying. And then sit down and think about it in a positive way. Not from the perspective of rejection, from the perspective of acceptance, Islam, and submission, and actually believing that this is good for us, as this ayah says, it will be much better for them to accept what is the truth and move forward with that. We can't change the world in one week, we can't change the world in one year or ten years or decades. We change the world in the context of where we are. So in our very small, limited capacity as uh, members of one family, members of, you know, a larger family of the relatives, a member of 
the community, we can start talking about reformation and change, but it takes time. And that is the way the Quran is revealed. It's revealed over time so that human beings know the process of human beings. The human beings don't change overnight. Sometimes it takes decades, if not centuries, for people to come into Islam. As I've always said, that Islam did not spread outside of Arabia in one year. It took a century for people in other places to accept Islam. They didn't accept Islam overnight when the Sahaba went to all these countries. It wasn't a mass kind of conversion. That's just a myth. It did not happen that way. Because it can't happen. Human beings live in time and space, and you need to give them time and space, and that is all Allah's fadl. So obviously we don't want anyone to end up in Jahannam, God forbid, but we do want people to be exposed to Islam. So one is exposing Islam by knowing Islam. And the only way you know Islam is if you actually believe Islam is true. If you have any doubt whatsoever about revelation, what's in revelation, you should not represent Islam at all. That's it. Finish. You cannot represent Islam because you're skeptical yourself. You're not licensed to. If a doctor practices something, medicine on a patient, and he doesn't believe the medicine works, he's a hypocrite. That's not very ethical. So if you're talking Islam to everybody in the planet and you have doubts about Islam, you shouldn't be talking, period. You should be uh, disbarred, <laughs> is part of the word. Not necessarily uh, uh, ostracized or what's the word they use in Christianity? What's it called? Excommunicated. Uh, so we're not the Pope, we can't do that. But we can definitely tell you, you're not licensed. You don't have permission to talk about Islam if you don't believe in Islam 110%. That's just the order. Okay? So therefore, most people in the USA, they're not qualified because everybody doubts about Islam. Everybody doubts Islam. They don't believe the solution at all. Somewhere they're going to crumble. Somewhere they're going to have a problem. So then you must learn Islam first in a, in a good way. Not on the level of being a great Allama or Shaykh, but at least on the, the functional level, you in your heart believe Islam is the solution, period. No matter what. And then you defend Islam from that perspective and you promote Islam from the perspective of conviction. Uh, so that's how the of the Quran, thinking about the Quran, is on the basis of you appreciating the Quran. As a guidance, as a nur, as a rahmah, as a shifa for all you people, all human beings, and especially for yourself, inshallah. Anyway, Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana, fina akhirata hasana, khina adab nar, Allah wafiqna lima tuhibbu wa turda, waj'al akhiratina khira min al-ula, wa sallallahu ta'ala khira khilqi Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahabi ismain, fi rahmatika ya rahmah rahimin, wa alhamdulillah, wa alhamdulillah.